I'm going to punch you. <laughs> Do you know what time it is, Chris? Is it combat time, guys? It's time for combat. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna point a gun at you and get you to do what I want. That is a lot of build-up for a four-page chapter. Yeah, we don't, we don't. I like, but it's I like weapons. I like it when they're used on people in my games. I don't like necessarily making that too complicated. No, let's make it easy for people. The, long, the more rules you put in a combat chapter, the slower you make combat. Yep. And it needs to be the fastest possible thing. If anything, you want combat to go slightly too fast. Yep, and we, we wanted it quick and brutal. Yeah, for sure, and it is. Like, everything's, quite quick, everything's quite quick and brutal in Spire. It's savage, it's quite terrifying um, sometimes. It is. And it's fine. And like, and like, I, like, I like to think that it's all the players' fault as well. Yeah, like it's not going to happen to them. They're going to do it themselves. It's like the thing about so like we don't really have a very complicated combat section. It's four pages long. Two of those are are, are, um, are examples. Yeah, um, we've just sort of explained what the weapon tags do a little bit more. Yeah, like literally, you're looking at a fight plus a domain check. Yeah, or yeah. A sneak if you're feeling fancy. Yeah, there's no rules for cover per se. There's no like like yeah. we assume people are taking cover. Um, it's not like there's no particularly rooms for for armor or anything. It all just happens, you know. It's fine. Yeah. Um, it's we'd much rather like I think I think we spend an almost equal amount of time discussing why to have fights in the GM chapter and why they're fun and how to make them sickening and unpleasant to be part of. Yeah, and you just need enough to be able to adjudicate them. And I mean, the entirety of the rules are placed on the players' heads anyway. Hmm. Like, make your roll. How did you do? Oh, you did badly? That means they hit you. Hmm. And that's kind of it. We don't have a lot. We don't have much interesting to say about, no, honestly, about like, the spy chapter. Combat um, is the most boring chapter in the book. Yeah. It's just like, it's it's mainly there to clear up. Because uh, like, combat works the same as every other mechanic, except you inflict stress with it. And the mechanics are there to clear up, um, basically to clear up any arguments. Yeah. As it were, um, hey, any interesting facts we've got? We've got um, in in the example fight, um, um, Helen and Ziz are both players from one of my playtests. Yep, um, playing their characters. So there you go. That's not that's not a it's not a recording of, of one of my playtests because um, I play Dominic, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is which, which is my friend James's middle name, and I thought it was cool. Fair, yeah. Um, and I think, like, also, like, the example fight, even then, like, in, in the example fight, we play fast and loose with the rules. Yeah, but I'm not as fast and loose, but yeah. No, it's, I it's think, not. I think one of the interesting things to pick up, though, is um, how range works. Oh, I... Because, as as we say, we've got three ranges, melee, ranged, and extreme range. Mm. Um, and extreme range is going to be used very rarely... I've never used it. But when you do use extreme range, it's extremely effective. Yeah, and it's it's important? Yes, it's important to have. Mm. Um, mm. It's one of those rules like armor. Like, armor is a huge game changer mm. if you're in a fight. Yeah. It means you don't necessarily just die. Mm. Yes, that's true, because it's very easy to get um, to get super hurt quite quickly. Yeah, when you consider that um, moderate, moderate blood fallout can, can happen from a six... Yeah, and you're rolling d- generally. I mean, you'll be rolling a d6 against. You're, well. you're like you're you're getting d6 stress if you're fighting anyone who means business, and d8 if they really mean business. Yeah, so you 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 can go the hell down from a sword blow. Yeah, which is which is kind of like we we wanted to have we wanted to, we wanted fighting to be either your last resort or something which you really prep for. Yeah, you don't just um, go. Oh look, let's let's have a Barney. Yeah, you it's might more, have a yeah. you have a barber all where you're chucking yeah. d3s and. Yeah, and whatnot. But you know, if it's the second knives are drawn, that's actually something you need to think about. Hmm. It's like it's it's not necessarily like we didn't want to be edgy and super realistic about it, I guess. But we wanted it to be, we wanted someone having a knife to be exciting. Yeah. Basically, I think yeah. There's, <laughs> I think that's the combat there's, chapter. There's like, nothing to say, Chris. Like it just it just happens. We don't really like writing rules which aren't exciting, and combat rules aren't generally like, character powers. Those are exciting. Even when we were designing the combat chapter, as it were, mm. 
We designed the the basic spire roles. Here's, here's, here's a here's a little little hit view. It's very much the last thing we wrote in the book. Yeah. We designed the basic supplier roles, the basic mechanics. <laughs> Sorry, I think we were, and you were like, "Should we have a combat section?" Oh shit! Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> yeah, and literally, it just came out of it. Just came out of those basic mechanics. Yeah, it just happened. Um, um, does its thing. It, it doesn't need its own system. Well, it does. It needs it needs those clarifications. Oh, sorry, sorry it's, it, it does stress, but it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily need like um, hit points. As opposed to uh, binary states that you get in D anD D. No, that's true. For example, um, yeah. Bye. That was combat. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the setting part of the book. Like this, this is this is one of the biggest bits of the book. I'm not sure whether it's the longest, but it certainly contains the most words. Yeah. It was it was a challenge to write this. Uh, if I'm honest with you, because I don't really like writing setting. Actually, let, let, let me let me let me rephrase that. I like writing setting, but I get very nervous that I'm doing it wrong and that I'm just sort of boring people and talking about my twelfth level paladin. So invariably, I'll just I'll just hint at setting or intimate setting through D10 tables. And yeah. so this was a this was a new one for me. I think it was a new one for Chris as well. Oh, for sure. Mm. And so it was a challenge. To write, and I think I think it came out okay uh, initially. And my apologies if we mentioned this before. Uh, my my memory isn't brilliant, but we we wrote the uh, the setting chapter up as it was on it was on like four levels of detail, where at the top level you just had the name of the skill, like sorry the name of the domain which which was sort of used in the area, and then we had a brief description of it, and then we had um, places in there. And then we had NPCs in there who were in those places. And the idea was that you could read as much or as little as you wanted. And it was bad. <laughs> it was two and a half thousand pages of not very good. It was astonishingly long. Like, okay, listen, it was it was useful, but it would be useful if we were writing a one-shot about just that one place, not a a campaign game yeah. about the whole about about the whole city. So I did that for Derelictus. Uh, which we'll get to uh, in a little in a little bit, but I did that, and then I realised that this was one a lot of words, and two I was I was sort of building redundancies into the book out of fear, I think. Yeah, and it definitely works better with this shorter, punchier prompt mm. system of of the Trumped. history of Spire. Trumped. Prompt. Prompt. Yes, it does that. Um, we didn't want to focus, you know, on the history. We wanted to focus on what's happening now and more on like what's likely to happen tomorrow. So we wanted to talk about people who have people who want things and yeah. people and like if we wrote in an NPC, the idea like the idea was that there should be someone who can kill you or you can subvert. We didn't really want anyone who was just sort of present and nice. Yeah. So we tried to keep away from that as best as possible. Let's us be present and nice and talk about academia. Yes, and the Benevolent um, Order of Wisdom and Discovery. So there is a gag at the start of this chapter. There's the Benevolent Order of Wisdom and Discovery. There's also the Sisterhood of the Unlidded Eye and the College of the Undying Light. And they are all fighting each other and they are all full of demonologists. Yeah. The the gag is that there's a free school and they bring you in and they all and like they they uh, slowly blackmail you until you're performing demonological rites for them. And we wanted this to be a lead into demonology, which is something which uh, Chris has been interested in demonology for a while, actually. Yeah, and it's something I really wanted in the book, and it's it was a difficult thing to kind of mesh with our vision of Spire because we could have just put in demons and be done with it, yeah. but it didn't feel right. No, I think as well, like we didn't want to have we didn't want to have uh, an alternate plane of reality where demons come from, but like we didn't want to have it like a place you could go. No, we didn't we want didn't... this to become plane hopping. No, and we also didn't want the demons to have like really strong personalities or motives or drives. We wanted to have them as something more alien and weird, almost like, um, I suppose, Lovecraftian. Yeah. Is the, is, is the level of demons we're dealing with here. Uh, I'm pretty proud with, with what we managed to do. Like we don't, we don't really have much in the way of rules for it in the main book. There are some rules in Black Magic, uh, one of the source books, which should be available on the website soon, or maybe you'll already have it. 
Um, but it's uh, it's it's it was certainly a challenge to write demons um, and have them as flexible and as exciting as, uh, as as they need to be, but also have them as as, as horrendously punishing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we wanted them to be horrendously punishing. Mm. We wanted them... Whereas occult magic itself is fairly um, dangerous to use. We wanted demonology to be incredibly so. (laughs) Incredibly dangerous. And also just like, we we, we did some looking into... um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Goetic? Goetic? I believe it's Goetic, but I've always said Goetic. Because I like how it sounds better. Um... Uh, Goetic or Goetic uh, demonology, and how the majority of demons you'd call basically you'd ring them up and you'd ask them a question, yeah, or you'd beseech them for skill. It wasn't like I want you to go and wreck my enemies. It was more like, hey, what's my enemy afraid of? And so we wanted to have more of a vague relationship with them, where you'd have them as a. It was more that like you'd contact them as as a mate who would do things for you. Yeah, but then but then they they asked. It, it's 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 basically like asking a demon to help you move. And best you don't fall out with them. Yes, precisely. Or you'll suffer fallout. Oh, Ooh, nice. Um, but we are we are talking too much about demonology, I think, because um, it's not really in this book. The other, the other, I suppose, interesting thing is that we wanted to. It's probably worth mentioning here. The the Elfia use demonology as nuclear weapons. Yes, they they sort of weaponized it. And they've managed to get a thing where they uh, implant a song in your head, which makes you which makes you work as a sort of bl- blood powered magic circle, which they can summon demons through. And when we say summon demons, it's more it's, it's opening a dimensional rift. So it's not like you get a legion of um, of black armored um, horned dudes who come up with axes, but just reality doesn't. Yeah, and just reality doesn't in a really explosive way. That that other place. Just impinges for a while, and we, that's why we call it an incursion. I guess it's kind of close to the like the uh, the elemental the elemental plane in D and D. Kind of the uh, what's it the the uh, like the uh, the plane of positive energy, where if you go there, you just pop. Yeah, because <laughs> there's too so healthy. much. There's so much happening. You're overloaded with hit points. It's it's that sort of thing. In the in the reality, just doesn't. And so we've got we've got some rules for that, you know, which is fun. Uh, and it is a way of taking out a neighbourhood, if you yeah, need to. A large you can just, area. Yeah, you can just suck a large area out of existence. Uh, we also, on the subject of weird technology, uh, the the academic, the academic stuff. Like, so it's we find it quite difficult to set stuff. I I certainly find it difficult to set adventures in academia. Um, it lacks a certain cut and thrust for me. Yeah, it's not very um, swashbuckly. No, if you know what I mean, it doesn't have um, that that action feel to it. We did our best to put some swashbuckling in here, but um, the academia. I think it, I think it's fair to say it wasn't really our focus on like going into the game. Like we we, we were more interested in uh, just sort of places where people live and places where people go to enjoy themselves. Yeah, but we've got so so like academia gave us one of the nice things about academia is it gave us the opportunity to explore weirder things. We've got the heart for like if we want weird things from within Spire or like well within within Spire. But Academia lets us import shit from outdoors. Yeah. So it lets us mess with conspiracies and yeah. that sort of higher higher tier stuff rather than just a gribbly monster. Yes. Hence the intelligence which is uh, ancient technology you jam into your brain and then you uh, you can have you have any answer to any question as long as you don't mind being comatose for D six days. Yeah, you got a, like a 360 board modem. <laughs> it's just <laughs> very, very slow. It's jammed in your brain. Yeah, um, and like that's the thing we we haven't we haven't told any stories about that, but I think there's some there's definitely some interesting stories to be told. Yeah, for about sure. Im- uh, implanting what amounts to I actually um, I I uncovered um, my f- my first notes on the intelligence yesterday. When right. um, so uh, so Chris and I were reading through some old rule books, looking for some inspiration for for more work on Spire. Um, and the the intelligent shards, the uh, the, the Prokatikos who built them, they realised that, go- that, the, that the gods were too far away and, and, and couldn't be talked to or bargained with, so they built a god out of crystal and buried it under the earth and then started worshipping it. And then something happened to the Prokatikos, we're not entirely sure. <laughs> and and like and the first draft of the intelligence was it it shards of their god, 
uh, which you're pushing into your head. And I think now it's basically a big-ass computer. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of like the idea that they tried building a god. I've, I've always I've always loved the idea of, of like of, of an underground race, like dwarves, for example, who decide to build a mechanical god. Yeah, forging it themselves. There's something quite pleasing about that. For um, sure, yeah. But we'll move on to the High Elven University of Divine Magic, where we get to do the weirdness of High Elves and the weirdness of Academia. Just jam mash together. them together. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this, uh, I I wrote most of the book, um, and and like generally the way it would work, uh, we uh, Chris and I would meet and we would write, uh, we would write, we would sketch out some ideas for a section. Um, that I mean, sorry, uh, for setting, uh, we wrote all the rules together, looking to document. Uh, but as far as the setting goes, because it didn't really seem worth like Chris staring at it while I wrote it. I'd go away and write most of this, and then we'd come back and read through it and tweak stuff. And he'd say, "Grant, did you use the it word?" All about. Yeah. yeah, that sort of thing. Um, you you t- take out some of my colloquialisms, <laughs> and, um, of which uh, there were thousands. It turns out I find it easier to write. That's and fair. Uh, the High Elven University of Divine Magic is one of Chris's. So Chris went off and did the groundwork on this one, and then handed it back to me, and I punched it up. Um. So, would you like to discuss? part of what makes you interested about this divine place well the big thing for me was that the the high elves have access to all of this money and all of this mm. power um and yet they're still very religious yeah. creatures yeah so it, it dawned on me that they would they would have this drive for more knowledge of the divine mm. and thus need somewhere to study it and and really work from mm. Um, that's where the Divine Magic University comes from and it allowed us as you say to combine the insanity of the the Elphir with the spire like insanity of dealing with the religions yeah like like high level divine stuff yeah so you've got things like like a a telescope that looks down yeah now it looks down we never made it quite clear how it looks into the heart. Surely there's stuff in the way. Yes, but it's that sort of telescope. Ah, okay, right. I mean, if you look at the picture of it, it doesn't look like a normal telescope. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It looks like a bit of a mirror. <laughs> um, I was, I, the thing which interested me as well is that you, you doubled down on the lunar font. Yep. Uh, which is which is a place where um, the where moonlight is collected and turned into liquid. And this is this is heresy to, to Dark Elves, because, like, the moon is their goddess, or their goddess lives on the moon, or, like, you know... Like, or she, something. She does, yeah, she does that thing, but, like, she, she is powerfully related to the moon. Yep, and they're um, siphoning it off and distilling it into solid matter. Yeah, which is which is kind of a fun thing to do, but also, it, like, um, what will... Well, you, you'll see later as well, we've got the substance, substance called Spire Black, which is, uh, which is generated in the works, and it's kind of a... Like flammable and eventually explosive sort of city phlegm that forms around industry, and uh, we kind of put that in there as as an anachronism to cover the fact that oh hang on like where are they getting ink from? Where are they getting gunpowder from? Where are they getting fuel from? Oh, it comes out of spire black, of course. Why, of course. Why, of course. And so having having a liquid moonlight, which is used in all sorts of stuff, it gives us kind of a almost a generic magical substance which you can hijack or steal. Yeah. It's it's pure plot point, mm. um, because it's got to be transported to certain locations. Mm. Um, the Elphir Smith down in the works, you can use it mm. if you can get a hands on, on any of it. Mm. I've got a name, Sun and Water. Sun and Water. Um, and obviously, as you say, you can hijack it and use it for your own purposes. I don't explain what it does, of course. But... <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, we have Gwynn Four. Now, uh, Gwynn Four, roughly translated through our cobbled together version of Welsh, means big gun. Subtle, <clears throat> very subtle. Yeah, much um, like the humans. Yeah, I think I think the so, so the humans uh, come from fantasy Cornwall and fantasy Wales, um, but un, but it's separated by a big ocean. Uh, so I assume Spire takes place in upside down America. <laughs> <I guess we'd laughs> do it. Because we'd why do not? It. Yeah, that's, that's how it would work. Uh, it's, it's, and like back in the day, um, humans were kind of a playable class, and like a playable race even. And then we wanted, and then we, we sort of turned them into a class. So you'd play someone from from the, from the human uh, university of Gwynedd for, um, 
who was a gunslinger, but they just didn't gel with the rest of the group, so we cut them uh, and sort of divvied up their powers between the rest of the classes. Like this is this is more of a um, this is a place where you can find weird stuff, and we I think I think like we've we've implied that there's lots of weird stuff coming here. There's there's a computational division. There's volatility research, and also they they make regular trips into the heart to go and pull stuff out. Yeah, it gives you a good base for the human, yeah. for the important humans of of the old campaign. Yeah, because the Elfir, they'll happily work with Elphir because mm. Elphir have a lot of money. Yes, um, a whole load of machinations can be going on with Gwyn Four, especially yeah. since they're essentially an arms manufacturer. Basically, yeah, and like, and if you want to have any sort of game about experimental stuff or like fringe science, this is this is where it will happen. This, yeah. is the, this is this is this is the, the the mad science part of the of the of the game, and I think everyone needs a bit of mad science. Honestly, like the, the same way you need a wizard to do weird things, you need a wizard with a with the power battery, of galvanics with a battery. Galvanics. <laughs> apparently, so it's called volatility research, not galvanic research. Because yes, we weren't super sure what galvanic meant. <laughs> <laughs> we had to be very careful on certain things and do a lot of googling. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, will, I will say one thing, just just to sort of um, part the curtains here a little bit. The majority of the time spent in spent working on this book was coming up with names for things. Yes, which is Chris, desperately hard. Chris and I suck at coming up with names, and like, unlike I think every other part of our work, we're perfectionists. Yeah, when it, it comes has to, to it, be like, exactly right. Like we'll work for forty five minutes. On the name of a thing, and like which we could have spent like much more fruitful time, and like we'll 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 go through and like tear up thesauruses and look through and compare things, and then of course because we've we've opened up thesaurus.com, then we'll make up fake titles with stupid words, and just sort of, <laughs> just sort of have a bit of a joke around for a while. Yeah, it's it's, it's terribly focused our work style. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's, it's 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 like it's like that Pomodoro, but we do five minutes of work every hour. Yeah. You know, I, I think that keeps us unfocused in a way, which produces quality games like Spire Damn in right. in under eighteen months on schedule. Crucial, yeah, on on schedule, yeah, on schedule. Well, don't speak too soon. Everything could go wrong. We haven't <laughs> we haven't sent it to the printers yet. Let's move on to commerce. Let's. Chris, I love the North Docks. The North Docks very much feels like home. It was yeah. one of the one of the first things that got done for Spire. Yeah, the knights were the first like thing which I came up with um, uh, as a like a, aside from the fact that you were that you were part of a secret organization. The knights were basically the second thing I wrote down. So they've existed longer than the Ministry. Yeah, uh, in Spire, and I they are a darling we are not prepared to kill. <laughs> in no way is that no happening. way. They're, they're they're fun. Like I think the thing about the North Docks is it's almost like a, it's like a traditional fantasy setting. But the thing is, you can easily skew it to the Wild West, but without guns. Yeah, that's true. Um, or as you say, traditional fantasy setting, or you can use it however you need to. Let's explain a little bit about um, the North Docks. It's actually, it's actually one of the longest bits we've got in the in, in the book, mainly because people chose to put their pubs here. Yeah, and uh, because but... it's a really good starter <laughs> area. Yeah, it's um, it has it has access to uh, to let's explain. So like so, uh, two hundred year ago, um, uh, three hundred four hundred year ago, uh, the the Order of Saint Benaphras was a uh, still not, still not sold in that name. I think I could have done better with that. The Order of Saint Benaphras uh, was a, a, a an organization of knights who were sworn honor bound to protect traders and um, travelers and merchants who came into the city to allow free trade. And it was it was a it was it was all super cool and overseen by the council and everything was thumbs up or whoever ran Spire at that point we haven't really made that clear and then everything went wrong the high elves invaded and by that point the knights were already starting to come apart and flash forward two hundred years and now there are about a hundred different warring gangs who wear big cod pieces and shot and pauldrons just just for the shiny kudos. Yes, they uh, they if if they wore more armor, wow, they'd they'd be significantly better as player characters. <laughs> yeah, there's even there's even some groups who wear less armor. Yes, because uh, it's sexy. 
the knights uh, and and like and playing a knight is fun and like the knights and, like, as you mentioned back in the character generation chapter like the you're always you're, you're guaranteed a good time with a knight even if it's not a good time that you're having someone's having a good time nearby probably yeah. the knight and so the north docks is something of an anachronism within the rest of spire is that it runs a little bit like a fantasy city in that we have like you've got a load of fighters walking around you've got this kind of feudal system where there's not really a police per se, but there's enforcers. There's not city guards. Everyone reports like like uh, the the knights who guard this street report to the guy who runs the pub, who reports to the woman who lives in a big steamboat. Yeah, the duke. It's not the duke, um, who has two husbands and one wife, called the duchess. The mm-hmm. husbands the husbands didn't 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 warrant names. She seems cool. What the the duchess? The duke. No, the duke. Oh yes, the, she, the both are very cool. Honestly. She, the Duke has a magical coat, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yep. She has an enchanted coat, as referenced in the equipment section. And we've got, we've got it's it's a place to go and have a big rowdy party, but we've also got things like, we've got theatre here. Uh, we've got a uh, the form of uh, de sang, which is a, which means of blood in our mangled French. And that means it's a, it's a kind of theatre, which is, it's improv theatre fought to first blood, which is, which <laughs> yeah. is, uh, which is. As, as of, so many things are in the North Docks. Yes, everything's fought to first blood. Uh, we have we have uh, theatre. We've got sports. We have uh, like tourneys to watch. We have entertainment, and it's kind of a popular low rent entertainment district. Yep, for sure. Yeah, you actually get people coming to the North Docks for a party. Mm. You like Solace, don't you? I like Solace because Solace is the only place in the entire book that is completely fine. Mm. Solace is a is a. Um, a temporary home yeah. for, for people who are having problems and there's no cultists nope. there's no ulterior motives it's just a nice place I'm gonna you know what um, th- th- throughout this whole um, commentary I've been keen to not say hey this is canon this is right this is wrong this is canon there is nothing wrong in solace you can no put, one is up to anything. You can put anything else you want in any other place. Solace yeah. is a genuinely nice place in the north. If Fox. we find out you've messed up Solace, we'll come around. We'll come around and have words. Yeah, big words. We don't know any big words. I'm sorry. I was trying to impress you. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we've also got we've also got so like t- towards the end as well. Uh, we've got the Wizard Weasel, the Last Leg, and the Carmine Scepter, which is the which are the the, the backer suggested bars. For this place, uh, and they are like, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of happy with all of them. Yeah, I love They're them all. all. In fact, like, the last four entries in this chapter are all bars um, and, and and all weapon shops because <laughs> yeah. we've got the Sanderson's Arms, which is essentially our version. Yes, basically, a man, a man who nailed his own part, nailed his own arms to the to the slime outside his shop. Yeah. In fact, actually, I kind of want to mention this because um, Sanderson uses uh, he's he's human. Which is interesting because a human knight, yep. which is which is rare, but he's got um, sliver technology in his arms, and sliver technology was something which I I, I envisaged I envisaged would be much bigger back when we started writing game, uh, started writing spire. So sliver is these sort of like scintillating metallic shards. Um, which come from the home nations of the Drow, and the I, I, when I was envisaging Drow technology, I wanted it to be. Um, Weird and old and slow and misunderstood and more magical than human technology. Yeah, um, and so sliver like slivers are these are these basically magical rocks which are magically treated in some way and they're sharpened and then you jam them into your spine and it does stuff to you. And so we so we had ones like uh, ones which mean you no longer feel hunger. Ones which uh, sharp which which like uh, sharpen your and strengthen your knuckle bones for punching that sort of thing. And Sanderson has these in him, and I think we mentioned them in precisely two other parts of the book. Yeah, but there's no rules for him. He's also the only point at which we say, "Yeah, you can get replacement arms." Yeah, you can get replacement arms. Um, I, actually, no, sorry, that's not true. Garrick the Steelboned, the 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 backer god, has rules for replacing your uh, your leg with a robot leg. Yes, but that's a robot leg. That's true. Yes, this yeah, is a replacement actually, yeah. arm, grey white and hugely muscled. Oh yeah, you can grow them. Yeah. Well, Who there knows? we go. That's a thing that happened. Yeah, <laughs> but the point is, like, that's that's illustrative of how we wanted to write the book, like as plot yeah. points rather than a long and tedious history. Yeah, and I, I also think as well, like, one of the one of the 
you lose a lot of the fun of magic if you explain it. You lose a lot of the fun of this of this, of this fascinating mystical world once you start writing down and, and pointing out where the limits are. So if we could, if we can carry on having guys in here who were just like, yeah, I got, I got these vat grown arms and they're studded with technology you've never heard of. I just own a shop. Like it keeps the weird there, which yeah. I like. Uh, For I sure. think. I think that may I think that maybe we ironed quite a lot of that out to make the book more readable, but I'm glad we left some bits in. Yeah, it's dotted about here and there. Yeah. Um we've also got so like so these 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 uh these ends at the end, uh, as I said, I'm I'm chuffed with all of them. They're all kind of fun. I think my favourite one is the last leg because it is it, it, it is a boat. <laughs> um it is a boat which they um it's 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 a sunken boat and then the crew get into other boats and go and steal beer from other places, then bring it back and drink it. They're essentially oh, Viking publicans. <laughs> Pirates, I think, is the yeah, yeah, but like <laughs> land raids. Yeah, for sure, and that's um, that's, that's that's kind of a fun theme. It was it was interesting working with the um, with the backers, like to try and generate stuff which gelled with the setting. Yeah, and I think I, and like and like I'm glad we like we we had Mark, so like so people you could take advantage of, um, bars where you could go and get a drink or a god, and the gods sold most because you got you got a drawing with them and that guaranteed rules. Yeah. And made us a significant amount of money, so thank you very much for backing those. Very kind, for sure. Um, but it was it was certainly fun to try and take someone's idea and work with it to 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 mesh it into our world. But let's move on because we have quite a lot of commerce left. Yes, there's a whole bunch of it. There's the sky docks, which um, it's not as developed as the other places. If I'm honest with you, we've uh, we left it up to like there's. You go there to find weird stuff. You go there if you want to buy something and you're running an Upspire campaign, so like in Perch or New Heaven. Or you're um, after something very exotic. Yeah, or you want to see a sky whale. Yep. Which you the, want to see a sky the, whale. Which the the image does wonders with. Yeah. If um, you look super gross. I love sky whales. I didn't want them to look like whales. No. <laughs> I wanted them to be really, like, I wanted them to be things that are so creepy you, you almost rather not look at them. And Adrian has done wonders making that a reality. Yeah, it doesn't look real. I like it. It's, it's got it's got quite a nice face. It's got quite a nice head on it, which I yeah. like. Um, so I think like so, so the Sky Docks was more. It was more of a place to talk about um, the logistics of Spire, in that people use giant crows a lot to, to move up and down it. There's lifts, there's stairs, and there's giant crows. Yeah, and it's easier to fly down on a giant. It's cheaper to go down on a giant crow than it is to go up because you generally need like two or three to get you up. Where Especially you can if you've got of, luggage. Yeah, you can glide down on one. Yeah, um, and I, th- I think we referenced the um, the elf here, like uh, gliding down on like eighty to a hundred songbirds. <laughs> is another one we've got. Like, yeah, just just, 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 tr- just throw that in there. Just throwing money away. The elf yeah, thing. why not? Uh, just landing and killing the songbirds and then walking <laughs> off. <laughs> Uh, we've, we've also got the Corvid Court, which I'm surprised Chris let me leave in. I like the Corvid Court. Yeah, good. I do. I think I'm, I, I like. It. I wrote it. You know, I'm, I'm chuffed with it. I, I wanted to have um, the the crowsmen who run who who run the um, who run the Corvid. I suppose the the, the rookeries actually the rookeries might well with the crowery. Um, crowery doesn't really work. That's a horrible phrase, isn't it? Yeah, I wanted them to be weird and sort of isolationist and odd and superstitious. And also, I was on kind of on holiday uh, for, for for quite a while in the north of England with only a laptop to keep me company. So <laughs> I just started writing, and the Corvid Court has no rules for it, and there's nothing there, and it's far too long, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. But I'm really happy with it. <laughs> in the in that, like, it gives you, it, I think it gives you more of a a taste of what these weirdos are like and then if you want to if, if you want to have a fun scene where it's like oh hang on we've got to get down quickly oh okay let's uh, let's go talk to the let's go talk to the crowsman you're right there like a, a, a proper sort of weirdo in the back of a pub sort of thing yeah and they all carry shotguns which is fun because they're strange and dangerous well they've got to shoot down rival crows <laughs> <laughs> um We've also um, we also got to put a load of weird gods in here, which is my favourite. We have Plur. Plur is wonderful. Plur is a giant toad called is, Plur. Yeah, he's a god, and he, he lives at the centre of a city called Plur. Or Plur? I don't know. He's got he's got an umlaut over his no, name. No, it's Plur. Plur. That's, that's that's the name he. That's the noise he makes. Plur. Plur. Plur's great. I like him a great deal. 
and um, it's always nice to write stuff gods down. I yeah, think, I think I just want to do that for my next book. <laughs> but the Sky Docks was one of the reasons the Sky Docks was created was to give us an access point for other parts of the world. Yeah, if we ever wanted to be able to fill in the the map, essentially. Yeah, for you sure. needed an easy. You needed multiple ways in and out of Spire, mm. um, and the Sky Docks was one of those. We have a we have land docks with the blue port. We have water docks with the north docks. Sky. And sky docks with oh, the sky docks, mm. and it's and like it's it's we we didn't want the sky whales to be a like they're not planes they're not even zeppelins like they they tend to not go in the right direction they're not very good they're very slow and they're not very like they get they can be shot down quite easily yeah uh, with 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 like siege weapons it's essentially like trying to transport yourself with a cow yeah but a cow that's a bus yeah. Uh, also, sorry, it's 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 like charging into battle on a cow that's a bus. It's not a great idea. No. And so it's, it's like we, we wanted them more as a means of getting off the city rather than um, uh, we're go like we're going to mount a raid on the council with with um, with sky whales. Yes, the ridgibles they are not. It would take about three months. Now crows, that's a different idea. Yeah, crows, go for it. Strap yourself to a crow and jump off a sky whale. Now we're talking. In fact, that should be the end of your of your next campaign, listener. <laughs> Let's move on to the blue docks, the blue port. I absolutely adore the art for this one. It's so perfect. It just shows because the blue the blue port is outside. Mm. Uh, it's a land port where drow can't go. The drow can't go, so they've covered it with all these awnings of blue silk because it's mm. um, the home of the Azurites. Mm. And the art just shows beautifully this kind of the baking sun, mm. and then this dark area underneath. There is something in the cage on the left. There is. Not sure what that is. Someone's poking it with a stick. You'd have to ask Adrian. <laughs> He's the one that drew it. Yeah. Um, as as we mentioned earlier, AD just draws stuff and we let him. <laughs> it's yep. very, it's like, too good not to. I, I assume there's some stuff that he snuck past us that we haven't seen. Because I'll be honest with you, I didn't notice that there was something in that... Um, in that cage until it was in the book, so that's, <laughs> so that's fine. But uh, the blue docks, uh, the blue port is is the home of the Azerite, and it's like um, it, I, I remember I went on uh, I went on my holes, I went, I wasn't, wasn't my holes. I was on a press trip to Turkey, so I've I've always been fascinated by the appearances of souks um, and or souks and the uh, like the idea of like the uh, a Moroccan covered market. Or I, I, I was in Turkey for a press trip, and we went to the Grand Bazaar um, in. Istanbul and it was it just like so dense with detail and so dense with things to buy and all of the, like and obviously a lot of it's tourist like shite and that's that's kind of part of the appeal <laughs> yeah because everything's supposed to be bright and gaudy and colorful and you can sort of get swept up in it and it all smells like nice leather it's really it's a, it's a really lovely place um uh in the in 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 the grand market and so we wanted to try and communicate some of that. I think also we were interested in sort of transferring some of the, um, what's the word? Culture of the desert where uh, where the Azerites uh, are from to the uh, upwards towards Spire. So we have like kind of a bleed. Yeah, and also like just having another environment mm. to Spire because obviously yeah. a lot of it's very city, very urban, very city. Mm. It's inside. So now we've got a place where it's possible, if you want to, to run over the top. Yeah, which is, which looks really cool. <laughs> which looks really cool, but it's out in the sun, so you've got difficulties there. Yeah. Um, and, all- and it's a different cultural feel. Yeah. Also, the uh, b- b- because it's all temporary, um, it's all temporary stalls, and all sort of like it's designed to be collapsible and, and rearrangeable. There's no maps of the blue market. Like no one, you have to know where things are. So hiring a guide is a big part of it. Yeah, and that's and that, that's kind of a fun thing to like to, to to sort of have to have to hire someone to guide you through the market is kind of there's something uh, what's the word fantasy about that I suppose yeah, and then to kind of put the Elphir stamp on it, the Elphir mm. have a walled off district, yeah, in the same area because it's one of the main accesses into Spire. Mm. The Elphir need access to it as well, but they don't want to deal with the riffraff, so they have a, mm. a walled off section. Where everything's quiet and very different to the immediate to its immediate neighbour. 
Yeah, and so I think we we put this in. We were interested in having a place where you could go and look at the Elphir and talk to the Elphir without having to go all the way up to Amaranth, yeah. the top of the spire. And so this is this sort of this gives you quite a good. You can even if you don't have access to Amaranth, even if you can't like, even if you wouldn't, people wouldn't allow you to walk in the upper spire. You can probably break into the Elphir district and then yeah. trick someone into meeting them. Just jump over the wall. It's not terribly difficult. Mm. Shall we move on? Let's to crime. It's crime time, Christopher. <laughs> the crime is ding, 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 ding. My alarm's gone. My crime alarm's gone. My burglar alarm has <laughs> gone off. It's crime time. Many alarms are crime alarms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this one. This one is. This is a crime alarm. Um, we don't really have a lot of crime districts. We've only got the one. Yeah, um, I think that's because a lot of places can have crime in them, but mm. Red Row itself is focused on it. It's crimey. Yeah. And everywhere else, like some things happen which are pretty similar to Red Row, but they're authorised by the state. <laughs> so it's not a crime. Blue-collar crime. Which is nice. Red Row is um, your sort of standard... Uh, Wretched hive of scum and villainy, I think is probably the easiest way to describe it. It's it's uh, it's 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 in the undercity. It's kind of I think it's quite um, indicative of the undercity as well. Yeah, definitely, and it's it's very closed in and smoky and claustrophobic. That's the word. Yes, mm. it's very closed in, smoky, and claustrophobic. Mm. The uh, red row is where we invented the gutterkin. <laughs> yes, I do love the gutterkin. So so yeah, I I was sketching out Red Row and like the Undercity was one of the first places I wrote up back when I was doing this um, in a slightly I was doing a slightly more in depth version of the fiction and I wanted Red Row to be the place where literally every available race shows up. So there's gnolls. I think we also had we had like an ogre at yep, one point. We mentioned an ogre with a big lizard. Um, like he was just wandering around shirtless and tattooed, which I thought was fun. Um, but I think I mentioned goblins or something, and you were having none of it. No, and like, did fair, not want goblins. I can entirely understand. Goblins are comedy, comedy creatures, and so I th- eventually, like, we sort of managed to ev- every sort of greasy humanoid or small, um, grimy, unpleasant, killable humanoid character in Dungeons and Dragons gets lumped under the gutterkin category. Yeah. And it also deals with like with like real like like the real dregs of society as well, sort of end up in there. And it is a um, it's a it's a pejorative term. Mm-hmm. I'll give it that. But it also means that like it g- gives us the opportunity to have a, a little bit of weirdness yeah. going around. I, I don't think I've used them in my games actually. Come to think of it, no. But also, if you do want to use them as comedy, you can. Yes, you can. You can. Um, you can have goblins running around, like you can have kobolds, you can have gremlins and um, nixies, pixies, boggarts, boglins. Can you name a small creature? <laughs> rats. Well, yeah, but like rats <laughs> that can talk. Rat boys. Yeah, rat boys. Like oh, the toad girls. I remember the toad girls. toad girls. Oh, the beautiful toad girl. We'll get, we'll get to her in a bit. Yeah, um, but I wanted something that was was vermin but intelligent. Yeah. Yes, and like quite violent as well. Yeah, and that you were the one who gave them knives. Yes, <laughs> I remember. I remember you describing, um, like, as as we as we were trying to pin down the idea of what sort of game Spy was, and you were like, "Well, it's partially it's partially revolutionary. It's partly a horror game because I can totally imagine getting getting um, stabbed and crawling through the underhive as the gutterkin closing on you." Yeah, and that's pretty horrendous. Yeah, they're they're bottom feeders. They're they're opportunists. Mm. Mm. So if you are wounded and running through an alleyway, they will try and trip you. Yeah, and if if not murder and eat you, then at least rob you. Yeah, for sure. Or like steal like some fingers. Yeah, just minor bits that they need for their collection. <laughs> We've got um, so Red Row is divided up into there's, there's, there's three important. Actually, there's lots of important bits. Really, it's quite a large section for one area. Yeah, there's three. Um, 
three sort of factions who run the place. We didn't go into a great deal of depth on the factions, I think, because because we didn't want to weigh people down with what happened before. We've got <clears throat> we've got arena, which is uh, your um, common or garden um, fighting pit, run by Mother Moon, who is a knoll, mm-hmm. uh, which is unusual. And I think and like, we we want to play with the um, with the perception of how knolls are and how they are viewed, and like and, and Mother Moon uses that as well. But interestingly, Mother Moon's a, a really nice pa- possible patron for the players. Yeah, very much so. Um, if if you are veering towards that crime angle, mm. she's very powerful. She's mm. going to have a lot of stuff she wants doing. Mm. I'm also happy that the that what the the, the the some of the equipment mentioned on um, on her harem harem how's it pronounced? I've always pronounced it harem. Harem member is glitter. <laughs> and low cut trousers. <laughs> um we go on we've got Brother Hellion's Church of the Gun, um, which we mentioned in the extra advances chapter. Um and these are these are there to kind of seduce players into joining them and dying. Yes. Yeah, very um, much so. Or, or like or or, or like or, or getting into trouble. Um Valoran Standard which is the which is the first that was our first brush against the law. Yeah, we hadn't thought about the guards in any way aside from the last guard post before before um, law runs out. Yeah, and the Valoran standard is a is a last bastion place. Mm. It's it's an old warehouse essentially um, mm. that they've just converted over and are desperately trying to control Red Row. Which yeah. isn't going to work, so they're taking bribes left and right. Yeah, and like back in back in the earliest draft of this, I had Valoran Standard, and then I had I think two different NPCs with full stat blocks uh, for Valoran Standard. One of whom was running the place, one of whom was trying to take over, and like and like lead-ins and hooks and everything. And it was such a stodge. Yeah, it was. It was, it and was, it was so slow to write. <clears throat> So we we tidied it up. Um, we've also got L'Enfant Noir, which is um, I'm, I'm just I'm just sort of like reading through this red row bit. We've just lifted this from everywhere. In that L'Enfant Noir is Moulin Rouge. Yep. Um, in the uh, I, I think uh, on on Tim's map he's got it as he's got a huge air vent with a fan above it, mm. which is a nice touch. Like he got it, um, and that was a place where like L'Enfant Noir. Um, doesn't quite add up in terms of making sense, and, it's, and like that's the thing. Like, it's not like like we've got the heart, we've got magic, we've got weirdness, but Lafayette Noir just lets you be weird, yeah, um, in a way that like the theatre is weird, yeah, or I mean, knights got, are weird when you've got the gentlemen, <clears throat> yes, who are from elsewhere and speak in tight, precise voices with ticks and words like music boxes. Don't know where they're from, mate. No, you got any ideas? Not a clue. Having a fucking clue. <laughs> but it inserts elsewhere into your campaign if you want to. Yeah, if you if, if you want to have that happen. But like if you want something really weird, you can go you can go to L'Enfant Noir. Again, another um, good place for patronage and uh base of operations. Yeah, very much so. Like they'll they'll hire a room out to anyone. Mm. Now um if you flip over the page to page one oh four, um God, I, really, I really hope this is the right numbering for the final Oh my draft. god, yeah, you, you know, sorry, it, it probably won't be page 105. Flip over the page to the drugs bit. <laughs> Look at the drugs bit. Look at the drugs bit. It's huge, the drugs mm-hmm. bit, considering how much like, considering how much um, we write about other stuff. And we don't put any rules in for it. Nope. Why was that, Chris? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I think part of it was that we didn't want it to be the equipment chapter. Yeah, um, and part of it is because it makes more. It's more fun if you interpret it yourself. I think so. Yeah, um, I think a bit like having the demons as patrons. Like, put it this way: it's very rare that I've seen a book which <clears throat> properly describes the effects of drugs. Yeah, um, using mechanics because game mechanics aren't set up to do that. And that's the thing. Like, I think if if we wanted to describe anything, the game wouldn't feel right. Um, sorry, let me try that one again. If we wanted to mechanically represent stuff which you and I do all the time, 
it isn't going to feel correct. Yeah. Like like and like we've hit a point in 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 this <clears throat> in this medium where we can have let's say for example in Dungeons and Dragons you eat a hearty meal and get back your hit points. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. But because that's shorthand for oh well you're going to recover because because we want this to move on. Whereas if I got the shit kicked out of me, I think it would take more than a, maybe like two three sandwiches. <laughs> for me to feel like back at a hundred percent, a lamb shank's not going to put your arm back on. No, and every representation I've seen of drugs in role playing games, um, the benefits are too impressive, and the come downs are too hard. Yeah, um, like uh, I think it was uh, stimulants in um, in World of Darkness. It, I think it, it gave you like plus three physical, like plus three dexterity if you went on. Um, if you're on cocaine, yeah, which is like like you should always say that, especially yeah, if you're just... going into a gunfight, and like and it had this fairly heinous come down. I mean, and like it, it, in the real world, most drugs make you a bit weird for a while, and then a bit weird in a different way for a while, and sometimes you get addicted to them. Yeah, and I think we just like we wanted to have. We didn't want to write a huge list of rules about drugs, but we did. But I, I wanted to. I, I had a lot of ideas about them, and I think they're also. Um, this actually, this goes way back. Ha! This, this is a deep cut. A man called Steve once wrote a game with Chris. <laughs> a man called Steve. Um, it was, this was back in our first year of uni, and uh, this was back before either of us really considered ourselves games designers. And so we, uh, I was, I, I, I was, I was back with my back with my parents um, uh, for the summer, and I got an email from Chris saying, "Hi there, I'm interested. Like, would you be interested in doing some world building for us? Because we were interested in fixing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, you know, we we, we were twenty, nine, we were like nineteen years old. It was it was a formative process." It was a formative process, and I think we're still trying to do that. <laughs> I, th- I think everyone's just trying to fix Dungeons and Dragons in one in one way or another. And so, Chris asked me to write up some fiction for this. And again, I, 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 I was nineteen at the time, and so I was fairly fascinated with drugs, um, and still am, as you can tell. But I wrote up this. It was a city called Yerim, um, which was uh, run by a, by a group called Asarians. And Asar, oh, hang on, shit. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just remembering this now. Asarians <laughs> were um, they had they had bones. So the, the, like the Asarians, you you, you define the races. They had bone spurs growing out of their shoulders and like out of their skin, and they had like auspicious marks could grow in their bone spurs. Yeah. Um, and Yarim was a uh, it was it was built around. There was this huge tower in the center of it, Chris. There was this huge <laughs> tower in the center of it, um, which the uh, which the the church of Yarim had um, inscribed the order of animals with like with them at the top and like worms at the bottom. Yeah, like and and that like and that shifted around depending on current theological debate. But the thing about Urim, it was kind of a Samarkand sort of trading post in between two places. I've always found those, I've always found those kind of interesting. Yeah, they're and, cosmopolitan. <clears throat> they're, they're generally interesting, and stuff's moving yeah. and happening. Yeah, stuff changes. Stuff, st- stuff, stuff adapts. And so, what I had was, is they were the, the, they were hugely interested in drugs there. And so we had, like, I think, I think, I think they just called it smoke. And I, I had I, I wrote of this huge list of drugs. And this is before we had any game mechanics. I wrote this up, and I was like, "This one, this one slows your heartbeat down, so everything feels like so you feel very cold, and everything's going in slow motion, kind of magic." Um, this one lets you see magic. Um, this one um, just makes you feel good, man. And <laughs> I, and I, I sent this over to Chris, and he was like, "This is really good, but we can't publish it." <laughs> <laughs> And I think after that, I kind of got a bit, um, a bit put off. Right, in that. I was like, "Oh, okay, I understand." Um, so I, um, I kind of put that to one side f- forever, and the game never really moved past the prototype stages. No, but it was good practice. Yeah, and so, and that was that was, that was honest. That was the first time we worked together. I think. I think so. Um, in two thousand and six, bloody hell. <laughs> Point is, I like drugs. I write lots of drugs in here. Um, if it's, I just want to see if there's any interesting deep dives. Glimmer is from a different game that I wrote. It's called um, uh, The Golden Sea. It's a one-page RPG, and it's free to download. 
Uh, Glimmer is the is um, a, a sacred MDMA. Um, and you've got things like blues and the dose, which are used in, in other sections of the book. Oh yeah, talk to us about blues. So blues are really a really interesting drug. Um, it allows you to feel sadness. <laughs> so for the truly jaded Elphir, who's surpassed emotions, mm. you, you, they can get quite addicted to it because it's an emotional connection. And it's, I think, like that was something which we don't mention anywhere else that Elphir can't feel sad. No, but... oh, we 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 mention it slightly in the council section. Yeah, we one of we, them's addicted to the blues. We veer around the idea, mm. but the I, I quite like the idea that the Elfira is so that you like the average life of a drow is sadness and tor- and, and pain and torment, and the Elfira live such refined lives that they they sort of take a holiday in sadness. Yeah, and I just wanted to sort of really stick it to them. Uh, the dose in informed um, the uh, damned Saltash. Which is, which again, Saltash, a place you can go in Cornwall. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, we wanted to have a an arcology which the humans uncovered, which all the bad stuff came out of. Yeah. Um, and so the dose is a is is a drug which kept you awake forever. So I think we had this back when the um, back when the Prakatikos were dwarves. Yeah. Uh, and then you mentioned to me um, every Elder Scrolls game did that. Yes, every and single so, one. <laughs> and so we just vagued them up a bit. Um, and so now the dose is. I think there's something. It 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 displays the human ingenuity, but also their failings in the and in, in the like the original dose just simply removed your need for sleep. And this means it removes your need for sleep um, as long as you keep taking it. Yeah. And it's 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 that it's like it's like they've got they've got the output, but not quite everything that went into it. And it and it's become much dirtier and grimier along the way, and yeah, we started off. We had the dose and the fix were two with two drugs. The fix got cut, but but they were both designed basically for for spy work. And the dose dose means you never have to sleep, and the fix means you can remold your face into different into different shapes, which became some other spells for yeah. Like we've characters. got we've got about you know twenty spells which let you change your face now, <laughs> and there's a lot of. I'm I'm really happy with the drug section because there's a lot of different weird stuff happening there and a lot of like I feel it ties together the different sections of the of the spire quite nicely because it's what people want. It's it's desires. Yeah, and also like because there is a roaring drug trade in Spire. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because there is a roaring drug trade in Spire, you've mm-hmm. got a lot of criminal activity, a lot of places to make money mm. um, a lot of control of areas you can implement with, with the drugs Yeah, and it's interesting to know what they're moving and why mm. rather than just it is drug it is it is a bag of drug yes, you have a kilo of drug because I can guarantee you anytime you put a drug in a game there is one player who will take it yes, happened every time every time we've also got Kauzuda um, I, I red, love Kalzada. In Red Row. It was a real challenge, I'll be honest with you. It was a huge <laughs> challenge because um one of the one of the backers who backed us at, at the biopub level at the biopub level insists their name is Psycho Cowty Cow. And like I, I, I presume that's a name they've chosen, or they had very strange parents. However, Psycho Psycho Cowty Cow insisted that they had and that's cow with a K, insisted that the bar was called the Kowzada. And so we had to try and strong arm that into our fiction. <laughs> I think he went really well. It's actually one of my favourites. Like, I'm 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 happy with it because it let us. From that, we explored the setting and sort of like tried to tie it back in and loop it in. So we have the idea of um, an unmasked Elphia. Yeah, and uh, we got to look at the kind of other types of Elphia through it. Yeah, for sure. Like, the one, uh, like, ones who like aren't just posh. The, like the Elphir from the Homelands, mm. certain factions in that are revealed mm. through Kalzada. I think that's that's kind of the interesting thing. We like, Chris and I have always tried to, when possible, let the let the fiction infer naturally from itself. 
Mm, yeah, for and like sure. it's sorry, it's like it's not natural, obviously, because we made it up. But it's not like we've sat down and go, okay, what are the elves about? I remember, like, I think, like we 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 did that a couple of times where we, where, where we'd sit down and go, like, why is the spire here? Let's come up with twenty ideas. Yeah, rather than just what is the idea, mm. what is the reason the spire exists? And so now. But like by introducing a thing, we can generally sort of weave that back in and tie it in and and hope to. We're coming from a which we're trying to come from a personal point of view, rather than a omnipotent point of view, omniscient point of view. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's it's about what you can see when you go there. It's about what you've heard. It's about what you can do with it, rather rather than a uh, an objective viewer. Well, watching over the whole thing. We were very, very certain to, that we were not writing a history book. Yeah, because I, I did very badly at history in high school. <laughs> we weren't writing, you know, exactly what's happened at what time. Mm. We're focused on the now and the future. Mm. Which leads to better stories, as far as I can tell. Yes, and which leads us to the next section. The Spire Director's Commentary Podcast is a companion to the Spire RPG and features Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor. The music is by Arokia, hosted on freesound.org and used under the Creative Commons license. To learn more about Spire, explore related products, or buy your own copy, go to rowanrookanddeckard.com.